Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message entitled Praying with Jesus was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the 11th in our series, Sermon on the Mount. Good morning. Some of you people look better in the dark. I'm just wanting to let you know. Sorry, nothing personal. I have a face built for the dark, too, so it's all right. We are... um, Wanting in this year, as you know, and especially for those of you who are joining us for the first time this morning, to kind of set a culture for what the garden is going to be. And we chose way back at the beginning, those of you who are involved in the Long Beach Project and then praying through what next steps might look like. Uh, We decided we wanted to be more about the kingdom than we did about the church. Uh, It's not that those things are not the same, it's that that sometimes they're not the same. And so as we tried to frame our understanding of what that meant, uh, we landed uh, for this first series of sermons that will take us probably six, nine months from from get-go to just wander through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' clearest um, statement of what kingdom life is like. And so we've been doing that, and right today, 
uh, we get to the kind of the heart of the sermon. Uh, if, you, if you take the Sermon on the Mount and kind of stretch it out on a, on a frame, you, we are about right in the middle of it. So we get a sense here of what kind of the heart of the sermon is about, what the heart of the kingdom is about, uh, and what kind of, if, if you can think of, of this prayer as the trunk of the tree that is the Sermon on the Mount, um, the, the life of what we have talked about before and the life of what we will talk about hereafter comes from this central, central place. Uh, and so it, it's, a, it's a critical uh, passage that we look at this morning. And um, we could spend, I'm sure you know if, if, you, if you've read the, the thing, and I know uh, that Mike has done some significant teaching on this over time at, at Rock Harbor. I've done the same in other contexts that I've been involved in. We could almost spend a week on each of the phrases of the sermon. It is that dense in its, in its richness. Uh, we're not going to do that this morning. And we will have you uh, out of here in time to make it over to the hometown buffet, so, so you'll be okay. <laughs> Having said that, though, I want you to, um, if you can read it, if you, have a, if you need a Bible, uh, it, maybe, I, I'm sorry, I should have done this sooner. Uh, a couple of you are over at the side there. Uh, anybody need a Bible that doesn't have one this morning? Uh, if, you, if you don't mind, that's fine. Go ahead and pick one up. Um, and uh, we need some over here. Thanks, Pam. What are we going to do when you're not here? <clears throat> we need other Bible passer-outers, volunteers. Somebody over there in the corner. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the sixth chapter, and we're going to take a, a few minutes to do this. Darren and uh, had the chance to kind of set the frame for what sets this prayer apart from other kinds of praying that the people who hear the sermon were used to uh, and that we are used to. Uh, he sets the frame uh, as he did in the um, sixth, sixth verse there, uh, going into a private room. This is a personal conversation between the father and child. Uh, and, and it's not to be a, the language of commerce that, but that by, by, by much repetition, you get what you want. It's the language instead of relationship. So it begins that way. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, pray it with me. If you, if perhaps some of you, maybe even coming from a Catholic or more liturgical background, you have memorized it. So why don't we pray it together uh, this morning uh, as we read the text, and we will include... Uh, the, the last phrase, which is more the benediction that the church added on about 150 years after the New Testament was completed uh, so that it could be used right out of the text as part of worship. So let's use it for the intended intention this morning. Pray this way, Jesus says. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For, Jesus says, if you forgive men their transgressions against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. 
we want to make sure that we don't miss those two verses at the end of this paragraph that we'll spend some time on this morning. So this prayer begins with a reflection on the fatherhood of God. And while I want to talk about that a little bit, I want to kind of take you back to the tail end of last week's service where Stephen kind of walked you through a reflection on this idea uh, in the Christian practice uh, of meditation. Now, I recognize that for some of you from various traditions, the word meditation is a, might possibly be a terrifying word because it's attached in other religions. It, Christians are not the only ones who make use of the practice of meditation. Uh, Buddhism uses it, Hinduism uses it un under the guise of, of transcendental meditation and various other things. So it's not that the, the, no, the problem is not the meditation. The problem is what do we meditate on? The goal of transcendental meditation is meditation essentially on nothing to allow the forces of the universe to make you one with them so that you disappear into the universe as the goal of meditation. Christian meditation, by the way, not just Christian, but Hebrew meditation, a, a concept is about 35, 4,000 years old. We see prayers of meditation in the Psalms as well. David uses this language, and the, and the, the root of the idea of meditation is to, is to bring up something you have memorized. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? so that I don't sin against you. I bring that word up from my heart and I let it roll around in my mind so that it begins to percolate. How many of you know there's a difference between knowing something at the head and knowing something at the heart and knowing something at the feet? Right? That governs how I walk, that governs what I do with my hands. Right? Meditation is what takes what's in the heart brings it back into the head so that it begins to work itself out through the hands and the feet. If all we have is memorized scripture, it won't change the beat of our heart. But if all we have is scripture that we have hidden in our heart, it won't change the pace of our step. But if we can combine those two things through the Christian and ancient art of meditation, taking those thoughts, taking those ideas, taking those concepts, and sitting deeply with them so that the DNA of our thinking is affected, soon our hands and our feet will walk and act in different ways. You see? So unlike meditation that has as its, as its goal the disappearance of the self into the universe, Christian meditation, Jewish meditation, has as its goal the it becoming present to the God who is always present to you. Becoming aware that you live in a graced universe. Becoming aware that there is no place that you are that He isn't with you. And so we enter into that through that discipline. Does that, does that make sense? Um, and so as we come to this text, I need you to kind of pull back from some of the places you were last week, if you can do that, and notice that the first phrase in this prayer, the first uh, kind of beat uh, of, this, of this drum is, Our 
Father. Our Father. Please notice then that the first thing we learn from this prayer, notice also this is not a just a prayer to pray. It is a model for praying. So we don't just pray these words, although you can pray this for the rest of your life and, and not miss much. Right? Uh, we don't just pray, however, these words. We let this prayer instruct us in how we can pray other than these words. So the first thing that we learn from this prayer is that it's communal. You'll notice it doesn't say my father. It says our father. So while we pray it independently and can in the isolation of our own private places of prayer or while you're driving on the freeway or wherever it is that you pray, you can pray this by yourself. But as soon as you begin this prayer, you instantly join yourself into a universe of other men and women, past and present, who have been saying these words and you join your voice with a great choir that is already singing the majesty, glory and connection with God the Father, even though you are not physically present with them, in that first word you become spiritually present with the saints of all the ages. It is an amazing prayer that right from the very beginning says you're not alone. You're not ever alone. In fact, that guy on the freeway right beside you, he might be praying the same prayer. And you have become, in this expression, aware of your him is your brother. Her is your sister. Do you see where we start with this? Right? And then the next thing is father, which, of course, is, builds off what Darren was talking about and Steve was leading us into last week, namely that, that our primary connection with God in this prayer is, is not of, of, of God high lifted up and holy, but God come near to us as father. I need you to sit with this for just a minute because this is really critical as we move to the rest of the prayer. If, if you can remember those of you who had a, had a childhood that is not a painful or difficult one, because I'm aware that many of us have, have, have images of Father that damage for us how to pray this prayer. So I'm aware of that. But I need you to sit with what this word calls for from the Father. If you as a, as, as a child came into the presence of your dad and said, Daddy, which is the tenor, the tone of this text, what would you hear back? My son, my daughter, right? You'd hear, in other words, the echo of that relationship coming back from the heavenlies, right? At least in the ideal sense. And if you didn't hear that, uh, from your own father, if you heard something else that, that shamed or slammed you, uh, I need you to kind of sit with what you're going to hear when you speak to your heavenly father this way. Because what you'll hear is, my beloved child, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. You hear the echo in this prayer of what Jesus heard, because this is the second part of a dialogue, right? From the heavens, the voice Jesus heard in chapter 3 was, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus teaches us two chapters later to say to that voice, my father, our father. So the very first thing that we hear in this prayer is our belovedness. The fact that we have place. This is not somebody else's prayer. This is your prayer. 
You can come. And your heavenly Father will make a place on His knee for you. A place at His right side under the shelter of His arm for you. Your heavenly Father, having heard you address Him this way in response to His addressing you, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, is, sets the frame then for the rest of the prayer. Please notice, we're going to talk about forgiveness of sins, but that comes after embrace of belovedness. We're going to talk about daily bread, the needs that we have for daily life, but that comes after belovedness. We're going to talk about the battles that we face against sin and against temptation and about evil that gets personified in, in pornography and, and all kinds of other things that damage and destroy and shred us at the financial level. But all that comes after belovedness. You see, it's really critical. This is the backstory of the rest of the prayer. In fact, we've got, for me, I've got enough now. I could just go home. Right? I'm part of a community. I'm never alone. And when I look, I see the pleased expression on the face of a father who embraces me. That's why I love to raise my hand, whether in worship or another thing. It's just a way of saying, Daddy, give me a hug. Embrace me in this moment. Anybody else feel the need of that sometimes? It's just, it's just, it's, I, I just, you, and, and this prayer just called it right at the center, right at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Calls us to embrace this. Now you need to know, this prayer was very, very similar to what the Jewish uh, synagogue believers would have prayed. It's the Kaddish, if any of you have a Jewish background. It's the prayer that was prayed in the synagogue regularly. Very, very similar to this. This is not original with Jesus. But it is a prayer that he grew up praying. And you'll notice, Jesus is a very Jewish Messiah. We shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed of that. He doesn't invent things, necessarily. So, so he, he, he puts his spin on things, and he does so in this, in this prayer. Because the Jews would rarely ever pray they would speak about God as, our, as a heavenly father, but they would not address God as a heavenly father. So Jesus is turning this conversation about God to God, inviting the others of the community to join in. Do you see where we're going now? So then he goes on, he says, Hollywood, first of all, he says, uh, who, who it, I, I just wanted to say Hollywood. I love the way that word sounds, so... We'll say it a few more times before we're done. Um, our Father who art or who is in, and most of your Bibles will have this in singular form, in heaven. Uh, it should have a little note beside it that indicates that it's plural in the original Greek, which means our Father who is in the heavens. It's echoing an understanding of the way the world is structured, that here we have the planet Earth, and then we have the first heaven, which is the space around our ears, the air that we breathe, the atmosphere. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is the sky and the stars, the sun, the moon that we sang about in the song this morning, right? And the third heaven is where, the, where God, the Elohim, the council of God, the angels dwell. So you've got that cosmology now, the planet, right? Then heaven one, heaven two, and heaven three. Where is our Father present? In the heavens. 
He is in the space around your ears every bit as much as he is high and lifted up. He is as close to you and closer than the very breath you breathe. If you can get your heart around this prayer, every time you breathe in deeply, you breathe in the very presence of God. That's what he's saying. Our Father, who is in the space around our ears, hallowed be your name. Celebrated be your name. Holy be your name. Set apart be your name. Name here is not just the, the name of God like we stick on our, on our uh, name tag. It, it is your character, is your personality, is your reputation. We want you to be set apart. We want you to be celebrated. We want, we want you to be made much of. We want you, Lord Jesus, to be lifted up. Remember, this is what Jesus said. If you lift me up, I'll draw people unto me. So my prayer at the end of every day, like, like, like uh, uh, Bach's uh, ending of every symphony that he wrote or every piece of music he wrote was a little SDG. Solo Deo Gloria. Which means to God alone be the glory. Jesus' version, hallowed be your name. To God be the glory. Right? So we walk out into the bright sunshine and to God be the glory. We look up at the night sky and we see the stars or we feel the rain. To God be the glory. This is amazing. You, the universe that we have been built into. And we are built for this. And then in the heavens, as we get a sense of the, of, the, of, the, of the gentle work and the move of the Spirit, whether through worship or in a conversation, you've had that. Some of you had that this morning. You were talking to friends, right, in that, in that community time that we had, and you just had a sense that there's a third person in this conversation who is not visible but is as present as the person to whom you are speaking. You know what I'm talking about? And one of those moments... I've often found myself sitting at Starbucks with people, although I prefer to sit at Alta with people, but that's different. And, 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 and I just know Jesus is sitting right there sharing our, our, our cup of, of Tanzanian Peaberry. I just know he is. And he likes that one, actually, frankly. Just a little bit more than the Sumatra. I'm just saying. Um, but anyway, so, so, so there we are in that moment. And, 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 and this is what the prayer celebrates. We want you in every conversation, in every breath, in every step of our feet to be glorified. We want you to be lifted up in our songs. We want you to be lifted up as, as we balance the balance sheet of the company for whom we work. We want you to be glorified as we, as we care for the students under our, our tutelage in the classroom. We want you, Lord Jesus, to be lifted up as, as we do the mundane task of data entry in the in the, in the in the uh, uh, insurance office that we work for. We want you to be lifted up and glorified as we stand and argue a case um, before a jury. We want you, Lord Jesus, to be... Uh, we want your name to be made great. That's what, it's, what he's saying. Mm. And then he invites us to sink in a little bit more deeply. We don't want just your name to be made great. We want your kingdom to come. We want your righteous rule to be extended in every nook and cranny of the planet. So, this is an echo back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember? 
verses 26, 27, and 28. Let us create humankind to be our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. At the end of that, he gets into this, this wonderful little verse. Now, here you are, male and female, the image of God. Now, what are we to do? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And bring it under submission to what? The kingdom of God. The rule of God. So what Jesus is inviting us to pray here is this wonderful invitation that Father God gave us in the first moments of our existence to extend His kingdom wherever we extend our influence. How many of you know you have a kingdom? Half a dozen. You all do. You all have a sphere of influence. A place where your word is law. For some of us, it's very tiny. It's our room, right? Or it's our car. Or it's, it's the place where we can say, and sometimes it has, we, it's not over people, it's over things, right? Sometimes it's, 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 over, it's over systems. Some of you have, have fairly substantial kingdoms where your word has influence and sway. Some of you as parents have a kingdom a sphere of influence that is over your kids, right? And, and, and it's not just about having, having say over something, it's about having influence over something. What do you want to do with your kingdom? Jesus says this is what we want to do with our kingdom. We want our kingdom to become one of the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ because He shall reign forever and ever. So wherever I have a sphere of influence, whatever relationship I have influence over, whatever conversation I'm in, whatever place I have say over how something works, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. In this conversation, I, I have uh, with, with, with an employee that I'm working with, right? With somebody who's under my supervision, with a customer that I'm, I'm interfacing with, somebody I have influence over, your kingdom come. This is the backdrop of our very existence. Does this make sense? If you have influence in your marriage, Jesus says, here's your prayer. Your kingdom come. In my interface with my wife or my husband or my kids or my parents. Anywhere I have influence, right? Your kingdom come. I want your will to be done here on, on earth with the same level of precision it is done in the heavens. Do you know that in the heavens, speaking and doing are exactly the same? That it's not that God speaks and something happens as a result of His speaking. It is that when God speaks, it is. Does that make sense? So for us... We say things, and in the response to our saying, something occurs. In the Genesis account of creation and, and, and in the nature of the heavens, God's speaking is enough, and speaking and doing are identical. They are not separated in time. Wouldn't it be nice if God's will was done on earth with that same level of precision? 
Jesus says, it's more than nice. It's necessary. Pray it with me. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Here. In this place. Because you see, Jesus is very aware that God doesn't get everything he wants. You you know that, right? He has created this planet as a sphere within which we can choose whether His will is done. Anybody notice that in your own life? And we're not talking talking about whether to go to Peru or to Africa or someplace else. You know, Lord, Your will be done. I want to do this. Who should I marry? What color socks should I wear? Any of that stuff. That's not about the will of God necessarily could be but not necessarily what he's after here is the same thing that we prayed your kingdom come we want your influence to work itself out into the details how many of you know god is in the details if you're not doubt that look at a flower right look at the wonder that is in a grain of sand anything god touches the closer you get the better it looks Anything we make, the closer you get, the more awkward and difficult it looks, right? So we want your stuff to be done here with a high level of precision in our relationships and our conversations and so on and so forth, all right? Then he goes on and he says, now, we recognize that while we are here on earth, we have needs. So give us today what we need for today. Give us today our daily bread. It's a euphemism, right? Bread is, bread is a euphemism for what we need to exist what we need to survive. And the echo is children of Israel in the desert waiting for manna to come at the beginning of every day. That's, that's the image that informs this prayer in the Kaddish and that informs it here. So Lord, as we get up in the morning, we're going to count on you to give us what we need to eat, what we need to survive, what we need to, to live today. Give us today what we need for today. Now, please notice with me that, again, the plural. Give all of us today what we need for today. But because God's will is not always done well on the planet, there are people who are brothers and sisters for whom this is not true, who do not have what they need for today. So even though I have what I need for today and often what I need for the next six or eight months sitting in a fridge or a freezer, I could go probably for six to eight months without praying this prayer. Anybody else like that? If if we're just talking about bread, what it needs to sustain us. But I have a brother or a sister on the other side of the world who does not have what I have. And so I pray on his or her behalf, give us. This prayer is not satisfied by my having what I need until all of us have what we need. And please notice, are you anybody beginning to feel hands and feet beginning to move in response to the prayer you're praying? We did it with Haiti here a couple of weeks ago. We're going to have opportunities throughout the course of the existence of the garden. We're doing it with people in our neighborhoods, whether it's the homeless man or woman or child, 
in, in, in the community. This prayer is not just something we pray and then fold our hands and, and go to Red Lobster. This is a prayer that we pray that changes the very core, the texture of our hearts and how we live out from here. Does that make sense? So he prays, give us today the manna that we need for today. And of course, it's not just about physical need. How many of you know you're facing something tomorrow morning that if Jesus doesn't show up, you're screwed? Anybody like that? Anybody writing exams tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. that's, what he's, that's what he's saying. Lord, you, how many of you know what you need for tomorrow? How many of you know that tomorrow is going to bring stuff you don't even know what you need? I love this prayer. He just said, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. Just give me what I need for today. Right? In real time. And, and make my life so faithful that I have to pray it again tomorrow morning. Isn't it annoying that grace is only sufficient? Anybody need extra grace? You know, it just, is, it just ticks me off that, that God just gives us enough. I, I frankly would like to bank manna. Anybody, anybody else like that? Okay, today, this is a season of abundance, so I'm going to put a bunch of stuff there so that I don't have to pray this prayer tomorrow. I'm grateful that I'm married to a wife who has prayed this prayer her whole life in, in effect. And I'm learning so much from Jude about how to walk. She, said, she, she told me this week that I worry too much. And so I said, I do not worry. And I quickly explained the biblical exegesis here of the passage and unpacked it in all of my righteous indignation. And then I realized, if I'm so defensive about this, she's right. I just hate that. Anybody else like that? I just, boy, that ticks me off. So here we are. Fortunately, Darren's going to preach that sermon, so I don't have to. <laughs> but here's, here's the deal. Daily, 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 daily bread. He's present in the space around your ears. He has resources for tomorrow that he will not give you until tomorrow becomes the day. Then he says, forgive us our debts. This is reflective of a Jewish cosmology, a Jewish understanding, that when we sin, we owe a debt to God. That's the image here. That's why a lot of the, trans, a lot of the translations move back and forth between debts or trans, trespasses or transgressions. It, it, it's, it's an attempt to get a hold on a, on, a, on a Greek word that has no clear English translation. So we're just doing the best we can in this. Give us the, forgive, us, forgive us our sins, let's say it that way. And we recognize that a, a lot of our sins are not against God first, but against other people first. Forgive us, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. Forgiveness is not something that we do at a point in past. It is something that we walk in. Sometimes going back over and over, and we've talked a little bit about forgiveness, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But notice the, notice the connective. This is the only part of the prayer that has an as in it. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us the sins that we have done. Forgive us the transgressions that we have committed. Forgive us what we have done against you. 
as we are forgiving those who have transgressed against us. Now, why does Jesus link in this phrase our forgiveness by the Father with our willingness to act in forgiveness to others? You, anybody notice the connection? You want to just scrape out, get a magic marker, a Sharpie, and just line out that last phrase? Wouldn't that be much more fun? Forgive me my sins. We're good to go. But Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because he knows that if you only have a relationship with the Father that does not work itself out in relationships with people, you do not have a relationship with the Father. Do you need me to say that again? If you only have a relationship with the Father that does not work itself out in fundamental relationships with other people, at the end of the day, you don't have a relationship with the Father. Here's how his youngest disciple said it. If we say that we love God but hate our brother, we're liars. The truth isn't in us. So Jesus, right here in the very heart. And by the way, did you notice how, how the fifth chapter builds towards this? We walk in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount, right? We walk in the treatment of people who think they are our enemies, but we can't regard anyone as if they were our enemies. We can't do that. So here he's inviting us into this conversation that says... Father, forgive me and help me to live this out in practical ways. Because the truth of the matter is, if you have been deeply, truly, understandingly forgiven for your sins against God, you cannot hold but for a split second your petty resentments and betrayals and violations of trust done to you by others. Because they pale in comparison to the debt that we owe the Heavenly Father. That's fundamentally what's going on here. Now that's hard for us because some of us have been deeply wounded. Some of us have been deeply betrayed. Some of us have had harsh and horrible things happen to us. And to forgive somebody from those things seems to us to be unjust. But Jesus is saying, at the end of the day, what you owe God is more than what they owe you. So release them from their debt. God will take care of them. And then receive release from the Father. And then he prays the part of the prayer that's almost never answered. This is another part of this prayer that just is annoying to me. I know my time is slipping on, but I'm, I, I need to sit with this. Don't lead us into temptation. Who prayed this prayer first? Jesus. What does the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew detail? Jesus led by the Spirit into the desert to be tested, tempted. So he's saying here, fundamentally, don't do this unless you really have to. Right? Don't lead me into those places. I'm going to find my way there on my own. Uh, you know... Anybody, the devil doesn't even need to wake up most mornings. You're, you're, you're going to blow yourself up by the end of the day, whether he shows up or not. Anybody like that? 
So Jesus is just saying, here, let's begin to cultivate a consciousness. Don't lead me. Don't allow myself to lead me. And then if I find myself in a place of testing, in a place of temptation, the Aramaic version of this suggests that maybe the reading is, don't let me fail in temptation. Don't let me fall when I'm tested. Deliver me. Deliver us from the systemic evil. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from all kinds of evil. If you don't need to pray that for yourself, there are women who are being sold on the streets of the city of Long Beach. Children are being trafficked. There are people who are, are making bank on the addictions of others. Oh God, deliver us, deliver this city from evil. Let it be, let it be. Why, why, why? And you can understand now why about 150, 200 years later, the church added this beautiful doxology so that they could just lift this prayer right out. Because we believe yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. And, and that's, that's just the way we want it. You have all of the power. Make it so. Would you pray it with me again as Brian and, and Jenny and the team come back to lead us into, into, into sitting with this? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in the heavens. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the garden, or would like to find out more about the Garden Church, please visit us on the web at thegardenlb.org. Space for the presence to dwell and to move.